Hello and welcome to this special Cruise News and Trends podcast. I'm Holly Payne, Editor, Video Production and Deputy Editor at Sea Trade Cruise. And I'm Rachel Worley, Cruise Relationship Manager at Sea Trade Cruise. Today is a special podcast because it's, drumroll please, World Oceans Day. That's right, Rachel. 70% of the Earth's surface is ocean, the foundation for life on Earth, and home to more than half of all life on Earth today. It provides food for billions and jobs to millions. And it absorbs over 90% of heat and almost a third of all carbon dioxide that humans have ever produced. It even provides the air we breathe. Every second breath we take comes from the ocean. So here with us to discuss all things ocean is Kate Weston, ocean conservationist for Orca, and Steve Jones, Director of Fundraising and Operations at Orca. Hello, thanks for having us. Hi, so happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you guys for joining. We're so excited to have you. So really, I heard about Orca when Steve joined the panel at Sea Trade Cruise Global, right? You spoke a little bit about the organization there. And I think today we'd love to to dive deeper, learn a bit more about the organization and the amazing things you guys are doing. So if you guys could each tell a little bit about yourself and, and what you each do at Orca. Yeah, sure. Um, so as you said, my name's Kate and I'm the Ocean Conservationist Coordinator at Orca. Um, so Orca are a whale and dolphin conservation charity, as you might have guessed from our name. We are based in the UK, but we work all around the world on what we call platforms of opportunity. So those are cruise ships and ferries. And my role within Orca is I send our wonderful ocean conservationists onto our lovely cruise ships to do education and monitoring work on board. So what's the most fascinating or surprising fact that you've learned about marine life during your work at Orca Kate? There's so many um, wonderful things and you kind of, if anyone's like me, I kind of end up going on a crazy deep dive anywhere I'm sent over the world. But I think the thing that surprised me most um, was something I learned really early on at Orca about blue whales. And that's that a blue whale's heart is about the same size as a small car. So the Volkswagen Beetle is what we usually say, um, but its throat is only as big as a grapefruit. What? (laughs) (laughs) The heart is the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Wow. Yeah. So in theory, a small child could crawl through its arteries because they're ginormous, right? The largest animal that has ever lived. So 33 meters long, pretty enormous. But yeah, they they can only swallow something about the same size as a grapefruit because they eat krill. Well, that's probably the most interesting thing I'll hear all day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And we just started. (laughs) There's a lot of cool facts about whales and dolphins, which I could go on about for hours, but we've probably got other things to discuss (laughs) as well. (laughs) So Kate, do you feel enough is being done? to educate passengers on board ships about the ocean or the fragility of the ocean. And Steve, what do you think about that, just to bring you in? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of great work that is being done. There are lots of brands that Orca work with who are really celebrating the ocean. And we know that the people who live and work at sea and rely on the ocean for their business are often the most passionate about protecting it. But there is absolutely more that can be done as well, because ultimately, as a cruise industry, the ocean is a key sort of unique selling point for those people who are offering ocean cruises. And so actually protecting it and celebrating it with guests is something that we can do more of. And I think that people 
people perhaps underestimate how interested guests are in 2023 about the marine environment, about conservation issues, and about the work that's being done around the world to help safeguard some of the species that live in the ocean. So I do think there's more that can be done, but I also think there's lots of great work that's already taking place that we can build on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, we are on cruises all around the world now and we, we see all sorts of passengers from, you know, kids that are sort of five and six years old who really care to, you know, the crew themselves. So I think there's definitely the passion there for it. But as Steve said, there's always more to be done. And that's, you know, what we're here to try and do. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's such an important thing, the sustainable tourism practices within cruising, or I think other sectors is such importance. But specific to cruise, could you also tell the audience a bit more about what Orca does in cruise and what Orca does to protect the world's oceans with that? Yeah, definitely. So Orca's kind of uh, mission is to give everyone who cares about whales and dolphins an active role in safeguarding their future. And when we break that down, what that really means, we really do mean everyone. So from the programme I run, the Ocean Conservationist programme, where we send people on board to work with the guests, to do education, you know, to teach them about threats like whale meat and how their choices on board can really influence the whaling industries, to things like responsible whale watching. We also do monitoring on board, so we're not only teaching people about threats, but we're collecting really vital scientific data on these animals but that goes even further so you know it's the crew on board it's the cruise industries themselves um, you know the shoreside teams itinerary planners it's all about education and giving people that means to really put that into practice. So we are really lucky because we've got a range of friends um, in all sorts of parts of the sector. And we're working with 10 or 11 brands actively at the moment. Some of them we have active programs and some of them we have programs in the pipeline. Um, And most of them at the core is the program Kate Runs. It's the Ocean Conservationist Program where we'll work with those companies to pick itineraries that are important in important areas, important parts of the ocean that we want to study. Now, we want to study them because despite everyone loving whales and dolphins, there's actually a lot we don't know about them and their lives. And ultimately, you can't protect something if you don't understand it. So we'll work with a brand, we'll identify important areas that we want to study, and we'll place ocean conservationists on board to collect that vital data that Kate was just talking about. Alongside that, we're then working with companies to try and understand not only their guests and what they're interested in, because we know all guests are different, every company is different and has a different demographic that they're aiming for. But we also understand their operations behind the scenes and that could involve bridge crew training that can involve working with those people shore sides to improve the impact of cetaceans through their operations um, or that it can include campaigns like anti-whaling pledges like the ones that ambassador um, have embraced or some work in responsible whale watching our friends at fred olsen are really big on that um, and lots of other programs that we run as well so it's a really diverse and a very broad set of programs and activities that we run um, but ultimately it's about helping every brand individually work out the things that they can do every day to make the ocean safer for whales and dolphins. Steve, thanks so much. And I'm really pleased that you've mentioned about some of these training programs. And um, one of the the training programs I was really interested to read about was MSC Cruises, because in partnership with them, you're helping to introduce a deck officer training program for the prevention of whale strikes, I believe, because it, it, you know, the the shipping route goes through the Pelagos Sanctuary. 
could you please tell me what is the significance of this when it comes to the Pelagos Sanctuary? What sort of marine life can we find there? Well, the Pelagos Sanctuary is a great example because it's an area that quite a lot of ships, um, cruise ships in particular, travel through. Um, it's near to the Ligurian Sea, um, and so it's in quite a high traffic area. You have freight, you have crews, you also have ferries going from the mainland to places like Sardinia and Corsica. Uh, but it's also a hotspot for two particular species of whale. You've got fin whales there and you've got sperm whales. And both of those are species that are at significant risk of ship strike um, for different reasons, but both very much threatened by collisions um, with vessels. And for large whales like that, it's actually one of the leading threats in the modern day um, to, to sort of the recovery of these populations after decades of exploitation through commercial whaling. And so the work that we're doing with MSC is a great one. I'm really glad you brought it up, Polly, because it's a, it's, a, it's a really nice project and one that we're really proud of. Um, but what we've done with MSC is roll out a training program for all of their deck officers across all of their ships. Um, and they they have a lot of ships now and they seem to be building more every day and we um, are training them on a few things we're training them on understanding ship strike and understanding the threat and um, that it poses to large whales understanding the animals themselves and how to spot signs of animals up ahead and then understanding the best practice measures that they can take to try and mitigate a collision because ultimately we want to avoid as much as possible the risk of whales being hit by ships and we know that cruise companies you know don't want to hit the whales it's just the you know a result of them going through these sort of high density areas of animals and so the guys at MSC have been really embracing it they're really passionate about it the officers are so engaged so many of them have completed the course already and it's only recently launched and so um, it's a great project and one that we're really hoping will help to keep some of those vulnerable animals safe sort of in future seasons. Thank you so much, Steve. That's excellent. Really good to hear that. And hopefully as, as time goes on, this is something that will, you know, more crew members and more people working on board ships can perhaps learn and understand more and more about the fragility of, you know, these vulnerable animals that we need to protect. Absolutely. We know ship strikes, you said, Steve and Kate, that there are some of those key areas that you work to mitigate. Could you really explain to anyone listening what we what really a ship strike is? And, and you mentioned a few things of, of how you're working to combat this. So sharing some of the best practices on, on how to mitigate the ship strikes that the cruise lines can practice. Yeah, there's a few different ways that you can avoid ship strike. And this is why we work across the operation. We don't just work on the ship and we don't just work shoreside because it's really a concerted effort. Um, the most obvious way to avoid ship strikes is to not go to places where the whales are in high density. That's the ultimate measure. And actually, we are finding more and more companies are avoiding particularly high risk areas. If you look at places like the Hellenic Trench in the Eastern Med, um, there's a very vulnerable population of sperm whales there and they are really at risk of ship strike as well. And so a number of companies are choosing to route around the Hellenic Trench to actually avoid the risk of collision completely. That being said, if you need to go through an area, then there's a few things that, that companies can do. Um, they can make sure they go through during the day um, because obviously then you've got a better chance of seeing the animals themselves um, and taking sort of appropriate measures. They can go slower. So um, going down to a recommended speed of 10 knots dramatically decreases the chance of a collision, but it also dramatically 
decreases the chance of the collision being fatal for the animal as well. So you get that sort of double bonus where you're going to minimize the risk of animals being killed. Um, and then the last thing that we recommend people do is to, to put an extra watchkeeper on, you know, put an extra person up on the bridge looking out. And then if you see signs of whale activity, the little saying and um, that people have used for a long time is if you see a blow, go slow, you know, try and slow oh. down a bit and give the animals more of a chance to get out of the way. Um, they're all really simple measures with some planning, then they can be put into place in pretty much any part of the world. But we know that itineraries are often tight, timings are often very tight. And so it's very difficult to retrospectively put some of these measures in place, which is why as well as working with the bridge officers, we're also working with those people planning the, the cruises so that they can build extra time in to allow the ships to go that little bit slower and just help everyone enjoy the scenery, enjoy the views of the animals, hopefully, but also minimise the risk of a collision. So what you're saying there, Steve, is that you also are working with itinerary planners. So, you know, you're able to advise on the itineraries that are being followed by cruise ships. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We won't tell people whether this port is better than that port. We're not you know, destination experts, um, <laughs> although in our jobs, we get to travel around a bit. So I've got a couple of recommendations if anyone's interested. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're talking to people about high risk areas. And so if you look at, for example, a place like Alaska, um, we know in Alaska, the turnarounds can be really tight. Um, and we know that there are tidal reasons and other sort of operational reasons that speeds can, you know, can sort of have to go up to slightly higher than than we otherwise would like. But if we can help companies to identify the hotspots, um, then they can also build in that little bit of extra time when they're booking in their ports um, and when they're planning their schedules for future seasons to make sure that the captain and the crew have got a little bit more flexibility to slow down in critical areas and to um, to make sure that they're trying to minimise those risks as much as possible. That's some excellent advice there, Steve. And I wanted on that note to bring in Kate, because you work with, I believe, over 100 conservationists globally. And I wondered what kind of monitoring and research Orca is carrying out on board the ships and how it's significant. Yeah, so um, we do have quite a quite a big network now, which is is absolutely incredible. And you know, they're all conservation professionals, and they're you know really dedicated, and they love what they do. Um, in terms of monitoring, we have a data collection app that we use, so everything's on an app on your smartphone nowadays. So we we thought we'd get on that trend. But our data collection is goes through our Ocean Watchers app. And essentially what we do there is we're collecting data about the number of animals we see, what species they are, and um, whether they're adults or calves, what they're doing, so if they're feeding, breeding, um, traveling, resting, all of these kinds of things. Um, but we also collect data um, that we call effort data, which is essentially environmental data. So what's the weather doing? Um, what's the sea state like? And that's just because it helps us inform our data. So we have our wonderful data analyst, uh, Ellie back at Orca HQ, who does all sorts of uh, statistics that I can't even pretend to understand um, on the data. And that sort of helps us, you know, understand how many animals we might be missing. Um, so we can have informed um, data about the animals we see. That in turn then um, goes into lots of different things. So our data um, is accessible to everyone pretty much, um, you know, other charities, governments, uh, universities. You know, we really believe that 
data and science is at the core of what we do, but there's no point collecting data just for the sake of it. We have to use it. And so we'll use it to help inform policy, uh, university students, as I said, and other um, conservation organisations. And a really exciting project that we've been working on has actually been down in Antarctica. Um, so our ocean conservationists, along with some of our volunteer marine mammal surveyors, did some distance sampling around the area in South Georgia, um, which, again, is a really um, important area for whales and is, uh, unfortunately, an area of high ship strike risk. And that project is 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 going to be really exciting or is really exciting. And we're hoping to continue it moving forward so we can help monitor the populations and increase hopefully the geofenced area which has a speed restriction around it for the whales. So Kate, if I'm a cruiser or a crew member on board, how can I practice responsible whale watching and what are, what are we looking out for if if we're keeping an eye out for the whales in that area? Yeah, so responsible whale watching um, is an interesting one because when you're talking about cruises obviously you've got the ships themselves. Um, which need to be responsible in terms of how they're, you know, interacting with whales and dolphins. And then you've got any sort of tender boats or operations that are happening um, on shore. So if we take the the ships themselves, it's it's all quite similar in terms of it's about having safe distances from, from the whales and dolphins. So not getting too close, allowing them to what we call animal led encounters. So allowing the whales and dolphins to approach at a distance that is is safe for them and our no-go zone is about 100 meters so we say you shouldn't really be actively getting within 100 meters of a whale or dolphin if they come close to you as dolphins very much will with cruise ships and um, they like to play in the wake and sort of yeah you might have seen them bow riding sort of jumping um they absolutely love it so you know if a whale or dolphin comes to you then that's absolutely fine um, it's about knowing the stress responses of the animals as well, which is something where the education on board is really, really important because a lot of us want that sort of blue planet moment, right? We want to see the breaching humpback whale. We want to see the orcas, you know, kind of thrashing around and doing all these amazing displays, which, you know, a lot of the time can be sort of through social behaviours. It can be them interacting with each other's, but close to a ship, it can actually be a sign of stress. So if a whale starts breaching out of nowhere very close to a ship or a dolphin starts um, tail slapping, so literally repeatedly slapping its tail on the top of the water, it can actually be a sign of stress and maybe we should think about moving away from that animal. The other thing then is the amount of time you're going to be spending with the animal. So our recommendation is if there's one ship, you shouldn't be spending any more than 30 minutes with an animal. Um, and if it's two, you cut that down to 15 and that's just because, right, if you think about it as a, as a human, if you have someone spending half an hour with you, that's fine. But then if it's several ships, you know, each one of those ships spends half an hour with you, that's several hours very quickly. And it can sort of disrupt key feeding, breeding, socialising and that kind of thing. And it's very similar for the small boats as well. But it's about moving away at slower speeds as well. So if you're close to a whale or dolphin, we recommend you move away at a no wake speed. So very slowly, sort of five-ish knots or less, um, ideally, to give the animals sort of a clear way to move away, you know, if they want to. Like I said, it's all about the animals leading the interaction and sort of respecting responsible whale watching rules. Absolutely. You know, um, one of the most important things, isn't it, Kate, to be able to ensure that the animal isn't stressed. And hearing you speak about the behaviour and the body language, this is so insightful. And is this something that, you know, is shared with the passengers on board? Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, a lot of the people who go to especially places like Alaska, Iceland, Norway, they're there to see whales and dolphins, right? You know, they're, they're going there to have these amazing encounters. And 
we don't want to stop see people seeing whales and dolphins. You know, we want to see them ourselves. So it's all about teaching them the right ways to look for them. So when we're on a ship, you know, we'll always talk about responsible whale watching as one of the key threats to whales and dolphins to the guests, but also we'll work with the cruise partners themselves. You know, it's really worth highlighting that what the whale watching industry has been instrumental in, you know, sort of changing the way we view whales. You know, in Iceland, there was an amazing campaign. Um, so Iceland is one of the few whaling nations that do commercial whaling um, still in the world. And their campaign called Meet Us, Don't Eat Us, um, which is the whale watching industry. So saying, you know, there's more value in seeing these whales alive than there is in eating them. You know, it's one of the reasons that the populations are recovering so well. So it's really important that we highlight that response, whale watching is such a good thing to do. And it can be such a, you know, a huge benefit for whales and dolphins, but it has to be done responsibly. And our ocean conservationists will will definitely talk about this. I mean, it's one of the main things they talk about on a ship because, you know, even if people are on cruise ships, they might not necessarily, you know, they might book their own, their own excursions and then they need to know, okay, well, what do I need to look out for? What questions do I need to ask to ensure that I'm going with the most responsible operator? Kate, it's really good to hear you speak about that, which brings me on to the subject of ethical travel options. You know, going back a couple of years ago now, I remember Ambassador um, revealed that they would be prohibiting excursions to oceanariums, any experiences involving captive marine mammals, and warned the Prime Minister of the Faroe Islands against dolphin hunting. And I know that they were working with you at that time on an anti-whaling campaign. So my question to you and to Steve, are you seeing a, a trend now, in your opinion, towards people being more interested in ethical travel options? Is it something that is filtering through to the cruise lines that you work with? I think 100% yes. And anyone who was at Sea Trade Global and saw the different talks throughout the sessions would have seen the word sustainability used more times than I could possibly count, which was great because it's a front and center issue for the sector. And it's something that hopefully people are taking really seriously. And in terms of how that translates to sort of customer behavior, I'm not an expert in that. But what I do know is the number of brands that are talking to us about this has dramatically increased in the last couple of years. Um, We have people knocking down the door to find out more about the work we're doing and the things that they can do to sort of be more sustainable and to engage in more ethical practices um, and I think that's all positive there's still work to be done you know you mentioned um, the the campaign we've got with ambassador and the anti-whaling pledge is amazing and is something that you know we're really proud to have been a part of and so is the anti-captivity policy they have as well more brands could do that you know particularly on an issue like captivity where the cruise industry is a big customer of dolphinariums around the world particularly places like the Caribbean and there's an opportunity there for more brands to do what Ambassador and Virgin and other brands have done in terms of showing a bit of leadership and standing up and saying, do you know what? We don't think this is right. There are three and a half thousand whales and dolphins in captivity around the world, and we don't think that they should be there. And we don't think people should be spending money to go and see them. So there's definitely work to be done. But the positive thing is that there is so much great narrative and so much great conversation taking place about this. And, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. These changes aren't going to happen overnight but the fact that even at the highest levels you know executives of these um, of these big brands are, are really engaged and talking about this um, I think is is something to be really positive about absolutely so if you could share any success stories you've had 
from the work you've done in cruise to each of you what would it be for me the biggest success has been the growth of our responsible whale watching work um over the past sort of two two-ish years it's something that is a real passion project of mine. So um, when I first started as Orca, I was one of the ocean conservationists based on a ship. There's not really, um, when it comes to responsible whale watching, there's not really a global standard. And a lot of the whale watching guidelines are voluntary. Um, so something that I wanted to do was really have a look um, and use the Orca's platform to have a look at responsible whale watching and to say, OK, well, what are the best practice standards and you know, how can we put these into place and now with our ocean conservationists on board they're able to sort of give us feedback on tour operators which we can feed back to our cruise partners and you know we're having really really good success and our partners are, are being really um really enthusiastic about the responsible whale watching work you know especially companies like Hotogroup and Expeditions, Fred Olsen, Ambassador they're all showing you know really really willing and you know that sort of put you, putting your money where your mouth is and investing in this so that's probably my favorite part so far at least <laughs> excellent from my point of view it's it's hard to pick because every partnership we have is bespoke you know we're all of our partners are very special snowflakes they're all very different and we all want to make sure that they're very you know treated in a very different way because ultimately every business is unique i think that some of the programs we've mentioned the ambassador anti-whaling and um, anti-captivity program is really close to my heart i worked really closely with gordon nardini and the team there um also we do a lot of great work with hood gruten and the distance sampling work around south Georgia was really groundbreaking and um, where we're collecting really high level data on whales and um, that's going to have a really big impact from a conservation perspective. But I think one of the most exciting things um, which encompasses all of our work with crews which is becoming more and more apparent is the work that we're doing in terms of where the data is being used and the role that it's having actually in driving conservation measures around the world. Um, the IUCN um, who sort of, they do the red list so they sort of classify and animals is endangered etc um they they have uh, they're involved in a marine mammal task force that has established what they call important marine mammal areas or immers um, and in the last sort of six months or so our data is being used quite significantly in assessing new immers so these are areas that have been very rigorously assessed um, and then a message is put out to everyone basically saying this is an important area uh, for marine mammals um, and for our cruise work um, you know having seen this program from its infancy all the way through to now to be informing this really high level at the top level sort of, of conservation decision making for our data to be involved in that is something I'm really proud of and something that wouldn't have been possible without the cruise industry because they're one of the few sectors that are actually using these high seas and remote areas and to the extent they are in a way that allows us to collect data on board so you know that's a really that's a really exciting thing for us it's it's you know it's maybe something that we'll be shouting a bit more about in the coming months because we've been doing a lot of work in the background but ultimately every every time someone goes on a cruise ship with orca um, they're contributing to that program and making a difference you know that's conservation in action and um, which to me is very satisfying and exciting i'm very interested to hear about that steve um actually recently uh, msc cruises and msc foundation revealed that they would be partnering with nature metrics which is a nature and intelligence environmental dna specialist to advance understanding of endangered marine species so we're talking about 
eDNA taken from seawater and then undergoing analysis. And this really opens up my eyes to this use of technology to enhance understanding. Have you, you know, looked into that? Is it something Orca is studying this eDNA and databases to capture some of the information of vulnerable species? But we don't do eDNA ourselves, although I am aware of that project. I read about it and it's a really interesting one and hopefully one that's going to be really fruitful. But what we do do is take our data and combine it with other data from different sources. So when we're looking at you know the data we might have collected in a particular area, we'll look at other measures like sea surface temperature or levels of chlorophyll or other sort of chemis- chemical or physical sort of measures that can be used to build a picture of different habitats. It's something called predictive habitat modeling. And so by looking at where you're seeing the animals and identifying the sort of the unique factors that make up that habitat, you can predict where in in other parts of the world those animals might be getting seen. And that's really exciting. And that's where we're working with other experts from across the sector um, to sort of make the most out of our data and and, and really make sure it's having a big impact. And we are embracing technology. You know, as Kate said, we have an app for us that's high tech. You know, we were using paper before. So, you know, we're we're making steps forward. Um, But we actually have a really exciting project at the moment where um, we're actually for the first time using video footage alongside visual observation to understand ship strike better and we're working on large ships to try and understand the way that large whales react to those vessels because at the moment we don't even know enough about the animals to work out how they're responding at what distance they become aware of the animal um, and any of those sort of really fundamental things that are really important to help sort of understand the risk of ship strike Um, and so that's something that's been taking place this summer as a pilot project um, in the Bay of Biscay Um, and something that we're going to be rolling out further. Um, It's also something that we're using um, as the basis of the observation protocol we're using on our program with Cunard this summer in Alaska, where we're doing some bridge-based monitoring um, in Glacier Bay um, to try and understand the humpback whales there and try and help to reduce the risk of ship strikes of serving as an extra watchkeeper and doing some training on board as well. So, you know, all of this sort of new tech is is definitely something that we're, we're very much trying to engage with and you know we are a small team there's only eight of us at the orca office but you know for a small organization we're still trying to cast the net as widely as we can and and, and get as many of these initiatives built into the work that we're doing well that's incredible and it certainly sounds like you've got your hands full um really great stuff for me you've told me so much that i didn't know that i didn't understand before and really good to hear you talk about this use of technology and data moving forward rachel what did you think about you know what did you learn about this was there one thing that you could name that you take away from this discussion i feel like such a sponge right now it's just been so interesting to learn all of the projects that you guys are working on all of the wonderful things you're doing for not only the cruise community but but everyone else around the world obviously i said before learning about the the blue whale's heart being the size of the uh volkswagen bug was jaw-dropping enough but i think just being a responsible traveler right and and the most important thing you guys are doing right now is educating people not only the brands but bringing this awareness to the cruise line passengers as well and i think that's just so important because as a traveler right you don't want to participate 
in those excursions where it's, it's something that's detrimental to, to the animals in the marine environment. So definitely just being a responsible traveler that's just learning and learning about all that has just been wonderful. Thank you so much. It really has been incredible hearing you both. And I know we can't keep you forever talking about this subject and you've got great work that you need to be doing. So, but I would like to end with one cheeky question, which was first to you, Kate, if you could be a marine animal for a day, which one would you choose and why? (laughs) Okay. It was got to be a whale or dolphin, right? Otherwise I'm completely off brand. I would probably say I would like to be one of the deep diving whales. So maybe something like a sperm whale because they can dive to 2000 meters, which is pretty incredible. And they can echolocate. So if you think of like a bat sonar, they have that same ability to sort of make a picture with sound. Um, And I think it'd be pretty cool to like go down to about 2000 meters and just have a little look around and and see all the cool things that are down there that most of us don't get to see. And then they go on the surface and they they rest and they sleep for a little while afterwards, which sounds pretty sweet as well to me. (laughs) I agree. And Steve, same question. For me, and I, I was going to say a pilot whale because it's my favourite, but I'm actually going to choose a dull's porpoise. Uh, a dull's porpoise is a type of porpoise you get in the Pacific. Um, they're black and white, um, and they're kind of like my spirit animal because they're almost rectangular in shape. <laughs> they look like a black and white cow that's had the legs chopped off with a dorsal fin topped on the top of it. But they can move through the water at like 25 miles an hour. They go so quickly, they make these really distinctive rooster tail splashes out behind them. Um, and they just don't look like anything that could possibly swim that quickly through the water, and they can. And so just out of the, you know, then being able to break the laws of physics, seemingly, they are my spirit animal and my favorite. So, Have you ever seen are. one in, in the wild, Steve? Yeah, I, I seen them. I went to Alaska in 2019 um, for a couple of weeks um, to do a cruise up the inside passage from Vancouver, and we saw a bunch of Dallas porpoises. Um, and I was out on a whale-watching trip out of um, with Seward, and we went out, we were we went to see some orcas and some humpbacks, but we saw these dolphs porpoises. And when we went past, they just went crazy in the wake of the boat and uh, started flying around. And I absolutely fell in love with them. So yeah, I have been lucky enough to see them. They're, they're pretty common. There's quite a lot of them. And they're not maybe the most fashionable, but for me, they're very oh, special. Oh, that's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. Really special. So take it away, Steve. And if anyone wants to find out more about how they can get involved, whether they're a member of the public just interested to find out more or a cruise brand who wants to get a bit more involved in whale and dolphin conservation, they can visit our website at www.orca.org.uk. And that's O-R-C-A dot Perfect. Well, that's all we've got time for today. So thank you so much for being with us. And I know that there is a a number of initiatives that different cruise lines are doing to restore and support ocean health, whether it's coral restoration, coral nurseries, and also restoration of habitat around private islands. So this is all that we've got time to discuss today. But if you'd like to keep up with us, at www.ctrade-cruise.com you can read all about the latest news what's happening in the world of cruise and also find out about the latest podcast episodes thank you everyone thank you very much to our speakers thank you for joining us it's our pleasure thanks for having us yeah thank you so much happy world ocean day happy world ocean day